You're listening to the sermon podcast of Mountain View Church. Whether you're here catching up on last week's message or digging through a past series, we're so grateful you've tuned in today. Our prayer is the next 30 to 40 minutes helps you become a more whole follower of Jesus. If you're local and would like to join us, we'd love to see you this Sunday. For those who can't make it in person, services are also streamed on Facebook and YouTube. All the information about service times, what we have for kids, and much more can be found on our website, almsville.church. Now, let's open our hearts and minds to today's message. Listen, listen to this opening line. About that time, there arose a great disturbance about the way. Anybody getting some Star Wars vibes off that? It's got some George Lucas, Steven Spielberg type qualities to it. It's actually written by Luke, um, the author of the book of Acts chapter 19. And, and that's where we're at today. Acts chapter 19, New Testament Go past the dudes, right? Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Then you hit Acts. Do you remember talking about the way? Uh, last fall, we did a whole series, three-week series on, on this concept of the way. We gave out t-shirts. A lot of you guys have worn those even to Sundays. I was going to wear mine today, and I couldn't find it, so that was helpful. Um, there were the yellow ones. Did you guys remember that? How many of you were a part of that last, last fall? Okay. How many of you are new to our church since last fall? You're like, I don't like to raise my hand. I'm new. Okay, cool. Look at that. Like, that is crazy, right? Like, that's how many new people we've added in the last year. Um, The way, though, let me catch up. The way was a term used by insiders of of the movement of Jesus. They didn't call themselves Christians, not at first. Christians was the term used by outsiders, and it wasn't uh, wasn't a compliment. (laughs) Oh, those Christians, those Christians, those people who hang on every word of Jesus. Um, that, that was kind of a, a negative thing. So the insiders, people who actually believed and followed Jesus, called themselves the way. And the reason they called themselves that is one of the things Jesus said one time. He said, um, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And his followers actually believed that, right? They actually believed that was true about Jesus. And, and it wasn't just a belief system. It was a way of life. It was it was a way of being in the world. Um, and so one of the things I want us to understand, beliefs beliefs do not cause much of an uproar. Right? Even today in this world, like we live in a world that's more than happy to say like you believe what you believe and I believe what I believe and like it's all good, right? That's fine. It's when your beliefs translate into actions and those actions rub against the grain of culture or challenge culture in, in a significant way. That's when things get interesting. That's when the heat gets turned up a little bit. And we've seen this several times in Paul's journey. If you're just joining us, we've been on this summer road trip, tracking everywhere Paul went, uh, sharing about Jesus and, and planting churches. Today, uh, we're again in the city of Ephesus, where we've been for a couple weeks now. Paul spent more time there than most cities, so there's a lot more to talk about and go over. Um, But Ephesus is a modern-day Turkey. Um, Here's a map if you want to kind of see where we're at. And um, rather than just show you more pictures and and maps and stuff, because we've, like I said, we've shown you a few things, I thought it'd be kind of cool if you got a drone flyover. Um, I didn't take this. I didn't go there this week. Uh, But I found this on YouTube. This is a drone flyover today. If you would go to the modern city of Ephesus, this is what you would see. 
And as you're watching this, I want you to imagine half a million people living here. Right, just really densely populated city. Even today, in, in much of the Middle East and Asia, cities are more densely populated than um, in, in cities in the U.S. Um, and in this flyover, you're seeing lots of the main attractions. There's this main road that goes in and out of town that you saw people walking on earlier. Um, there's remains of what's known as Hadrian's Temple there. Uh, there's the Celsus Library, which was at that time the third largest library in the world. And it was just this, it's still today one of the main attractions um, and then, of course, you've got this famous theater, this amphitheater, which you've seen a few times. There it is again. Look at this thing. Uh, in Paul's day, this would seat up to 25,000 people. Now, to give you a reference point, uh, 25,000 people, that is the capacity of Providence Park in Portland, where the Timbers and the, and the Thorns play soccer, uh, which that may not impress you. I don't know. Uh, but just know that in Paul's day, that is huge. That is that is a marvel. There weren't places that that many people could go and sit and learn. There's the main road coming in and out of town. Um, this was the place people would go and they would learn about Roman history and culture and all these things. So it was quite a place to visit. And in Acts chapter 19, where our story is today, the theater becomes the staging ground for a riot. What is it about first century people and rioting? It's like the third one we've already seen uh, in this series. But if you've got a Bible, Acts chapter 19 um, if you're using the Bible app, click on events and, and get there with us. We're going to start in verse 23, right? We did the first half of chapter 19 last week. Now we're going to finish out the chapter today. So uh, verse, verse 23, and here's that line. I didn't make it up, right? Here it is. About that time, there arose a great disturbance about the way. I see the credits moving, you know, up like, like Star Wars, you know, like were you reading it? A silversmith named Demetrius, who made silver shrines of Artemis, brought in a lot of business for the craftsmen there. He called them together along with the workers and related trades and said, you know, my friends, we receive a good income from this business. And you see and hear how this fellow Paul has convinced and led astray large numbers of people here in Ephesus and in practically the whole province of Asia. He says... That the gods made by human hands are no gods at all. That's the charge. So you got Demetrius. Now in those days, they, they would organize into trade guilds, right? Different tradesmen, different craftsmen would belong to a guild. I think it's somewhat similar to today's unions. In fact, um, historians have kind of traced unions back to this idea of, of belonging to an ancient guild. Um, so Demetrius, he's, he's kind of like the union ball. He's, he's like the union president. And he gets all the people in the union together and the, and the guild together. And, and he, he says, hey, fellas, have you checked your quarterlies lately? Or have you brought up your bank app? Have you clicked on the Wells Fargo or Chase or whatever? And look, because mine's pretty low, right? My charts are not up and to the right. Things are not going well. And I think, and everybody would have looked and said, oh, yeah, yeah. Man, we are kind of struggling. He said, okay, I, I know why. I know the problem. There's this guy named Paul, and he's been going all over the world, which to them was just kind of that circle that we've looked at. He, everywhere, every city he stopped at, he's been preaching this message saying that our gods aren't real. That's the problem. 
That's why we've got less business because the people of the way aren't coming our way anymore. They're not buying our shrines. They're not buying our little trinkets and and souvenirs and idols. What are we going to do about this guy? Right, the, the gospel was created in an economic disturbance, first off, right? So there's a great disturbance. The first disturbance is economic. It's hitting them in the pocketbooks. It's also creating a theological disturbance. The way, the way. So Paul, you're saying there's only one? Well, that would that would have caused an uproar, right? Because these people believed in multiple gods. They worship all kinds of gods. There are temples everywhere, statues everywhere. Each town had their own kind of patron god or goddess. And in Ephesus, it's Artemis. Um, there's the temple there of Artemis. But remember, we, we looked. Uh, uh, that there, was a, there was a temple to an unknown god in one of the cities, like in Athens. Like, there might be more gods than we don't even know about, Paul, so we're covering our bases. Here's one to the unknown god. Right? The way, there's only one way. Paul, you are so intolerant. You are, so, you are such a bigot. You, you can't tell us there's only one way. How dare you? Have you ever noticed how oftentimes the people claiming others are intolerant are themselves some of the most intolerant people in the world? These people are like, we gotta shut this down. This Paul guy, he needs to be silenced. So they're going to start a riot, right? Heads need to roll. Someone's got to catch the blame. But listen to this last thing Demetrius says, okay? Listen to verse 27. This is his, the, the, the end of his speech. He says, There is danger not only that our trade will lose its good name, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis will be discredited. And the goddess herself, who is worshipped throughout the province of Asia and the world, will be robbed of her divine majesty. See, there's the second, there's the economic disturbance. They're worried about their checks, right? They're worried about their finances. But then there's a theological disturbance. He's worried that the goddess that they worship, the goddess that protects their city, the goddess that they attach all of their prosperity and wealth to, that she somehow is going to become dishonored. And when ancient gods became dishonored, there were consequences, right? I don't know if you know much about kind of the Greek uh, gods, but they weren't always nice. They weren't very loving and gentle. They, they, they believed that the gods would, you know, this is where the idea of like, oh, I can't walk into that church or God will smite me with lightning bolts. You know, it's like, yeah, that's not God, that's Thor, okay? Or that's, that's Odin, you know? Um, it, they, had, they were tricky, right? They weren't always very nice. So he's worried, man. If people don't worship our God, what's the consequence of that? What's the fallout of that gonna be? And I gotta give him credit. It's a great speech. And he says, Artemis will be robbed. Here's the language. Robbed of her majesty. Now, if I'm standing there, if I'm like one of these tradesmen, and I'm standing there, I think I would wanna raise my hand real quick and, and ask a question. Excuse me, in the back, yeah. And, and I'd, it'd probably get me beat up, but it wouldn't be the first time. So I, I think I'd go for it, you know. I, seriously, I, I, I used to get beat up all the time on the playground in elementary school. And, and don't feel bad for me. It was usually my fault. I, uh, <laughs> I never knew when to quit, you know. I just would run my mouth and say stupid stuff to people twice my size. Uh, 
So I'd come home and my dad would be like, what'd you do? You know, that was kind of the, the thing. But I think I'd go for it. I think I'd raise my hand and say, Demetrius, all you guys say, I, I just, point of, point of clarity. Um, so you're telling me you're about to riot and, and you, you're about to fight over a God that can lose its majesty? Like, you want to serve a God like that? You, you want to worship a God like that? That's kind of weird. Let, let me explain. So um, a couple weeks ago, I, most of you know, I, I, after two and a half years of, of running from it, I, I finally caught the COVID um, last month or so. And um, originally, we banished me to my room. I was told it was because of COVID. Honestly, I think my family needed a break. Um, so they, they put me in the bedroom, and, and we tried to keep it from spreading to the house. Two days in, my three-year-old spikes a fever, and the quarantine is over, right? Like, how many of you know when your three-year-old's sick, everybody's going to get sick, and you just got to deal with it, right? It's like, okay, you're not going to quarantine a three-year-old. not going to happen. Um, so I, I was free at that point. But um, the first few days, we tried. We're like, we're going to keep this thing from spreading. And so we kind of locked me in my bedroom. They put my food outside the door or whatever. It was, it was actually kind of nice. It was uh, not too bad, right? Especially three young kids. It kind of felt like a vacation. Um, I'm like, how am I going to pass the time? And I was like, you know, I could read my Bible a lot. There's a lot of people in my church I could pray for. A lot of stuff going on in the world I could probably study and pray for. I think I'll watch as many Marvel movies um, <laughs> as possible. And um, I mean, I did pray for you. I did, okay. But so I, uh, I don't know if you know this, Disney Plus, shout out Disney Plus. They actually have now put the Marvel movies in chronological order on there. And I'm like, this is my chance. So I got through seven of those in two days. Um, I was making some good time. They're pretty long. Uh, so I got through seven of those first few movies. And I was just thinking about this. I haven't watched one since. So if any of you are sick and want to cough on me today, that would help me out. Because maybe I could, you know, keep the series going. Um, but my, I'm not, actually not a huge superhero movie guy, honestly. Uh, but my, my favorite in the series of those seven <laughs> that I got through was the very first Avengers movie. I, I really, really enjoyed that. And there's this scene, okay? There's this scene where Loki, who is, he's the, the Norse god of mischief, right? Uh, he's trying to assert his dominance and his authority over the Avengers and over all of those pesky humans. And there's a scene where he gets off his little like cruiser thing and he shouts at the Avengers. He's like, enough. Was that good? Was that pretty? Okay. Try again. Enough. All of you are beneath me. I am a God, you dull creatures. And I shall not be bullied by and then the Hulk grabs him and throws him around, right? Like a rag doll. Do you know this scene? Slams him into the floor like seven times. And Loki is left imprinted into the floorboards, gasping for air. And Hulk walks away and says, puny God. <laughs> puny God. And just walks off. <laughs> That's what I want to say to these silversmiths, right? Like you're telling me that Artemis is so fragile. Her glory is so fleeting and dependent on human beings that if these people over here don't worship her, like she's going to lose power. She's going to lose honor. Like do you really want to wake up and wonder if your God is losing the step? Is that where we're at? 
You're going to go to, you're going to, go to war over that? Because that's not the God of Paul. Right? That's different. That's not the God of the Bible. The God of the Bible and the God that Paul's trying to teach everybody else about is way more secure than that. Right? Paul's God's majesty is not dependent on you and me. It doesn't ebb and flow and shrink back or get bigger because of what you and I do. Right? God's glory is eternal. It is forever. It is not threatened by any one of us. And so if the actions or inactions of other people threaten the power of your God, then you've got a puny God. Like then your God isn't really that powerful. In fact, I would say then you're not actually worshiping big G God. And most of us would probably read that and go, yeah, I don't really think that. But sometimes the way I hear people talking about things, particularly Christians right now, talking about the the state of our world and the way things are going in our country and, and different things like that, underneath it, it's almost like we're worried that God is losing. Like, oh man, God's on the ropes. And then out of that comes this posture or this attitude that we need to do everything we can to protect God's honor or we need to defend him. And this takes a lot of self-reflection, but I think if we're honest, when we get down to it, we're not actually defending God. We're defending ourselves. We've been hurt, right? Or we've been offended or we're afraid. We're afraid. We're scared. And it's our own honor at stake, or it's our security. It's the reputation of the church. It's the reputation of Christians, whatever. Those are the things that are on the line. It's, it's not God's honor. It's our honor that we're worried about. And I would just simply remind us that God is so much bigger than that. He doesn't need your defending. He needs your representing. And when we defend God, sometimes we're the worst representatives of him. Charles Spurgeon, man, 19th century preacher, Spurgeon always brings it. It's one of my most favorite quotes. He says, the gospel, okay, the good news about Jesus, the gospel is like a caged lion. It does not need to be defended. It just needs to be let out of its cage. God doesn't need us to defend him. He doesn't need us to you know, prop him up or make him look better or, or whatever. He just, he just needs us to represent him and let him do what he does in the world. Right? If the actions or inactions of somebody else threatens the power of your God, then you are serving and worshiping a puny God. And I would just ask you to, to elevate your vision of the glory of God and the majesty that he actually has. But let's continue on. Uh, with our story here, verse 28. What, what is it about first century people and liking riots? Uh, this is like the third one I think we've seen in our series. Here, come, here it comes, okay, verse 28. So after he, you know, Demetrius gets these guys kind of worked up, says, when they heard this, they were furious and began shouting, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Soon the whole city was in an uproar. The people seized Gaius and Aristarchus, 
Paul's traveling companions from Macedonia, and all of them rush into the theater together. Okay, so we just saw the flyover. They all run into that giant uh, half-circle theater. Paul wanted to appear before the crowd, but the disciples would not let him. Even some of the officials of the province, friends of Paul, sent him a message begging him not to venture into the theater. They're like, Paul, look, I know that you're good with words, and I know you're not afraid. I know that God told you a couple chapters ago that he's going to be with you and keep speaking, right? We read that. So like, we get it. You're courageous. You're a great orator. But let's not throw any gas on the fire here. Right? I mean, I think they're afraid for his safety. Um, I think they're also afraid that anything Paul says is just going to make this worse, right? This is just going to like blow up. And, and I love this next line. This is an all-timer uh, in, in the Bible. Okay, verse 32. The assembly was in confusion. Some were shouting one thing, some another. Most of the people did not even know why they were there. That's a joke, right? Like Luke put that in there for us to laugh a little bit. Like they're about to riot and freaking out and about to just storm the Capitol, whatever, right? And they don't even know why they're there. This reminds me of uh, Columbus, Ohio after an Ohio State game. I used to joke with my, my relatives growing up. I'm from Ohio. Big game, bowl game, right? Rose Bowl, whatever it is. Um, and we used to always joke that it didn't matter what happened. Like if Ohio State won, people were going to have too much to drink and they were going to go out and set couches on fire, right? And if Ohio State lost, they'd probably have even more to drink and set even more couches on fire. And there would be riots in the streets. Like, it didn't matter. It was like, this is how we celebrate. We burn it down. Woo! You know, and we're watching them. We're just like, oh, Ohio, you know. It's just what we do. This is kind of what's happening here. Some people, like, some people are just opportunistic and love to make a scene. Um, and other people get caught up in that, right? Your personality lends you to getting pulled into the, the excitement or, or just the vision, the drama. And what happens is herd mentality takes over. Right? And, and, and herd mentality is this phenomenon where people will do things as part of a crowd that they would never do as an individual. Right? It takes on a life of its own. It takes on a mind of its own. And pretty soon people are doing things and shouting things that, boy, if they were just by themselves, they, they probably wouldn't do. Right? You know the, the best you know, example of herd mentality that we have right now is the internet in general. Right, it's social media, it's whatever. It's like, because you're a part of this, it gives you this sense of uh, anonymity. Like, no one really knows who I am and I don't, I don't have proximity to people and people start ganging up on other people and it just becomes kind of this real big, big process of groupthink. And, and this is what's happening, right? And we see this happening in our own country, right? I'm gonna offend everybody equally, don't worry. But there's just so much anger brewing. It's been brewing for years. And there are a lot of movements and leaders that want to tap into that, who want to leverage that anger, leverage our fears, um, leverage our hurts for their purposes. And, and they tap into that. They put their finger on that. And the next thing you know, we get sucked into this thing where, and all of a sudden we find ourselves in the middle of a mob. We're like, I don't know how I even got here. And I don't, I'm not even sure why. And I'm not sure what we're yelling but I'm mad. And are you mad? Yeah, I'm mad. You're mad. We're all mad. Okay. 
And, and what, that's what unites mobs, right? It's not necessarily a common purpose or a common vision or a set of values. Hey, we all agree on these values and principles. No, no, no. It, it's a shared hatred of the other team. That is the uniting factor. We're all mad. You're mad, I'm mad. What are you yelling? I'll yell that too. And, and pretty soon, we find someone to catch the blame. That anger has got to be let out, right? It's, it's got to go somewhere. It either comes internal or it goes external. And so here's what the crowd of Ephesus does. They can't find Paul. Paul's not allowed to go out there. His buddies are like, ooh, you can't go in there. So they find two of his friends, his companions, and those two friends become the scapegoats for the mob. That's the, the object of their anger. And then listen to this, verse 33. The Jews in the crowd push Alexander to the front and they shout instructions to him. He motioned for silence in order to make a defense before the people. But when they realized he was a Jew, they all shouted in unison for two hours, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. This is like 300 movie stuff, right? Great is Artemis of the Ephesians in this 25,000 people theater. Now, this is interesting because Alexander is not a Jesus follower. He's a Jew. So what is he doing? Why is he standing up? I, th I think he's trying to stand up to make a case. Hey, just so you guys know, you angry crowd that's about to burn it all down, we're not with them, right? I think that's why the Jews say, hey, you need to speak because they're going to confuse all of us and we're not like Paul. We're, we don't believe what they believe. So he's actually standing up to make a defense of Judaism and I think say, hey, we've got the same enemy actually, but he doesn't get it out. They just shout him down too. In fact, it says they realize he's a Jew. And we've seen this throughout the series. There's a bit of a, a racial undertone to a lot of the persecution and things happening. It's an equal opportunity mob. Just burn it all down. Why? I'm mad. You're mad. We're mad. Why are we mad? I don't know. I'm just mad. What are you yelling? Okay, I don't know. Why are you here? I don't know. Get him. How's this gonna go? Like, how does this end? They won't listen to anybody inside. So it's gonna have to be somebody from the outside that comes in and, and tries to reason with these people before this thing goes off the rails. And in this case, it's the city clerk, which doesn't sound like a very important person, but I'll explain why it is in a minute. Okay, verse 35. The city clerk quieted the crowd and said, fellow Ephesians, doesn't all the world know that the city of Ephesus is the guardian of the temple of the great Artemis and of her image which fell from heaven? So the first thing he addresses is that, that theological disturbance and tries to say, look, everybody knows that Artemis is real and that we really can worship her. And you know, he tries to kind of calm that storm a little bit. Therefore, since these facts are undeniable, Sure. You ought to calm down and not do anything rash. You have brought these men here, though they have neither robbed temples nor blasphemed our goddess. If then Demetrius and his fellow craftsmen have a grievance against anybody, the courts are open and there are proconsuls, they can press charges. If there's anything further you want to bring up, it must be settled in a legal assembly. As it is, we are in danger of being charged with rioting because of what happened today. In that case, we would not be able to account for this commotion. Listen to this. Since there is no reason for it. 
after he said this, he dismissed the assembly. And they all just stopped shouting and walked like, oh, okay. I don't know. (laughs) Pretty powerful guy. Now, city clerk uh, may sound like a weak title, but he actually had quite a bit of influence. Um, Officially, what his role was, was to be the mediator between Rome, um, the, the seat of the emperor, and all of the people of Ephesus. He was kind of a representative. And so when there were new laws that were passed or things that happened in Ephesus that needed to go back to Rome or vice versa, the city clerk was the one who wrote those things down and communicated and, and stayed in touch uh, with, with the empire, with Rome. And so he stands up and he says, look, people, if we don't knock this off, all this rioting business, and Rome hears about it, they're going to squash us like a bug. Because Rome will put up with lots of stuff. They'll, they'll put up with people worshiping other gods and having different customs and all that stuff. One thing Rome won't put up with is social instability and economic upheaval and rioting. So we've got to find a better way or we're going to get in big trouble here. That seemed to be a pretty persuasive argument. And, and verse 36 always makes me smile, right? First he says, um, he's talking about Artemis. You know, these facts are undeniable, which it's like, eh, sort of. And then he tells the crowd, so you should calm down. I've tried that approach. <laughs> have, have you tried that? You ever told your spouse, hey, I think you should calm down. <laughs> How'd that go? Right? There was a meme for a while that was going around that was like, never in the history of you should calm down. Has anyone ever calmed down? Right? Like that does not, that usually just inflames things more. I want to know this guy's secret. How did he, he said this to like thousands of people. You should calm down and not do anything rational. Like, thank you for telling me that. I'm, I'm fine now. Like it, it worked for this guy. His last line though is the one I want to grab onto. Okay, and we'll close with this. He says, if Rome came in and saw what was happening and they charged us with rioting, he tells the crowd, we would not have a defense. Essentially, that they would, that they would be right. Why? Why does he say that? He says, because these Christians that you're mad about haven't actually done anything wrong to provoke the way we're behaving. He essentially shames the crowd a little bit, right? He's like, the way you behave is wrong. What, what have these guys done that deserve this kind of response? Nothing. We, we would have no defense for why we're, we're doing this. And I think, what if, what if that was said about us someday? Right? What if us as individuals, but us as, as Mountain View Church or just like Christianity in the world in general, Right, what if we would live our lives in such a way that even though people would, would be mad at us and, man, there's just anger everywhere in the world and, and oh, we got to get those guys and they're the problem and, and sometimes we're misunderstood and we're mistreated and even persecuted around the world. Like, what if the fruits of our lives was so sweet and so undeniable that not only would they say, man, they didn't really do anything wrong, But some people in the crowd would say, maybe they're actually getting it right. Maybe the half of the crowd that doesn't even know why they're there 
Maybe, I imagine, I wonder how many of those people actually ended up being followers of the way. Like how many of those people actually converted to following Jesus after all this was over? First Peter chapter 2, verse 12. I want to read this. And you have to understand, most of Scripture is written to minority populations. It's written to exiles. It's written to people who are not in the majority of power. Right? Christians were not in power. They were not the majority population. And so 1 Peter and 2 Peter, I think, are great books for you and I to read and, and, and meditate on. Um, verse, two, or verse 12 of 1 Peter chapter 2 says, Let Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Now, calling someone a pagan is usually a pretty bad evangelism strategy. So, like, I wouldn't go that route. But when it says pagans, it's just talking about people who worship multiple gods. That was the way that they, Christians would talk about other religions back then. Like, live your life in such a way that those people who don't even believe what we believe, don't even worship the way that we worship, and, and maybe are angry and, like, kind of mad at us and accuse you of all kinds of stuff, that they would see your life they would see the way that you live, that would cause them to wonder a little bit. That would cause them to, to think about their accusations. And, and Peter goes as far as saying, and they would glorify God. Uh, this fall, Cassie mentioned Back to Church Sunday, right, September 11th. I hope you'll be here. We're going to do a little two-week mini-series and kind of just get us all back together uh, and, and worshiping together. But then after that, we're gonna kick off all of our life groups and, and the sermon-based groups, at least. We're gonna go through a study of the fruits of the Spirit. Um, we're gonna spend nine weeks on Sunday mornings on the fruits of the Spirit. And if you don't know what those are, that's totally okay, because you will by the end of those nine weeks. Uh, we're gonna do one at a time. There's, there's nine of them. Um, but some of, you, some of you may know these. Galatians chapter five, Paul lists these. And the nine are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and you know the last one? Self-control, right? Those are the nine fruits. And then Paul makes this statement. He says, these are what the fruit of the Spirit is. And then he makes a statement. He says, against these nine, there is no law. Like, can you imagine someone writing a rule against those? Like, we need a little less kindness. We better... We need to button down this joy stuff. That is elite. Gentleness, now illegal. Can't do it. Can't have it anymore. Why? Because those, those nine things are attractive. Right? I've never met anyone who's like, yeah, we could use a little less goodness in the world today. Man, those things are so attractive. And, and I think that's kind of what Peter's saying, and I think that's kind of what this clerk is saying is like, well, what do you actually see in these people? Like, what is your objection? What are you accusing them of? Right, tell me, what do, you, what do you have against you? Have they personally attacked you? Has, has Paul attacked you? Demetrius is like, no. Like, okay, well, did the Christians, like, did they all set up like a blockade in front of the temple steps and nobody could get in to worship Artemis? Is that, are they interrupting your religion? Well, no, not exactly. Okay, well, like, why are you mad? Why are you rioting? Did they, did they steal your copyright on your idols? You know, did they call you a name? Did they call your mama a name? Like, what? 
Well, their message is too attractive. What? Yeah. Like too many people are turning to the way and they're not coming our way. We're losing business over it. So, okay, you're rioting because what they're selling is better than what you're selling. Is that right? Yeah, I guess so. So you don't actually have an actual charge against them. Can you imagine showing up to court with that? Why are we here? These guys are living such attractive lives that everybody wants to be like them. Why are we here? Right? The judge is like, get out of my court. What if that was true about us? Like, what if, what if that was the kind of accusations we heard about us as individuals, but again, as Mountain View Church, as, as the body of Christ around the world, that we lived such good lives, that these fruits, that love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, good, all these, that they, that they were so flowing out of us that it, it, it messed with people. It caused a disturbance in our city in our workplace, in our school. And people didn't know what to do about it. And, and they, not only could they not make a case against us, but maybe secretly, right? Secretly, they wanted to join us. Secretly, they would say, man, those people have something that I don't have that I need. I wonder, I wonder how to get it. Right, we're gonna take communion together this morning. Let me, let me pray for us before we do that. Father God, I'm amazed, and I, I shouldn't be, but I'm amazed at how relevant your scripture, your word is to us today. It's written a couple thousand years ago, and yet if we open it up with an open mind and an open heart and ask you to speak, it's as relevant today as it's ever been. God, there might be some of us here this morning that would just confess that um, we've gotten caught up. We've, we've gotten swept away by maybe it's anger or hurt or whatever it is. And that's, that's colored our lives in such a way that we are no longer living such good lives among the pagans, as your word says, that the fruit of our life is not love, it's not joy, it's not peace, it's not these things. It's just a lot of anger and bitterness and hurt and frustration. God, as we confess that to you, I pray that you would heal us from those things, that you would remove them from our lives and that you would replace them with the fruits of your spirit. God, I pray for Mountain View Church specifically that in this city, uh, in this region, that we would be a place that though sometimes we're misunderstood or mistreated or even persecuted, that it would be said about us someday. Wow, those, those people live such good lives. And that they would give you glory. People would be attracted to the fruit, to, to the actions, to the things that come out of us. And God, I pray that you would remind us this week that you, you don't need us to defend your honor. Your glory is not threatened by us or by anyone in this world, that you are the king of glory, that you are eternal, that you are holy, 
and that we can, we can take a posture less of defending you and more of just representing you and being the best ambassadors that we can be for your kingdom, for your honor. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.